This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined in Fakatani by Mawera Karatai. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How are you? Very well indeed. How are you this fine Tuesday? Oh, I'm good. Um, I've uh, discovered that Jack is, in fact, a chicken whisperer who now, when the chickens escape from their house, follow him back in. So this is a remarkable thing to find out about your 10-year-old son. He is a chicken whisperer. I think I've got a chicken whisperer. Did you... He's also managed to, to charm a goose that we were all terrified of. A goose moved into our back garden <laughs> with one eye, and it was the most terrifying thing, but Henry just marched straight up to it and picked it up. That's so cool. And who are you introducing you... today? Um, today it is my great pleasure to introduce uh, Andy Taylor to you. Uh, and I've known Andy for a long time. Um, he uh, he's He's got a lot of different hats. Um, today, the hats he's wearing are his um, communications hat from his time in the um, EOC for civil defence during uh, COVID, um, and also as a publisher of a, um, one of my absolutely most favourite magazines, which is the Plenty magazine. Um, but more than that, Andy has got the this amazing ability to sit down with you and extract everything good and turn it into beautiful words on a page and make you sound like the most important person in the world. Um, he's It's a gift that you have, Andy, and I value and appreciate it so much. Welcome. It's, uh, kia ora. it's called being nosy and having a, a real interest in people. Hey, and, and just talking about chicken whisperers, I once interviewed a horse whisperer here in New Zealand, um, and he's bought over from Australia by a lot of larger sort of horse studs around the Cambridge Waikato area. And um, he can figure out what's wrong with the horses better than the vets. And I said to him, so it's, you can talk to horses? And he said, oh, you can talk to any animal. Um, but basically the money is in horses. And I said, oh, really, any animal? And he said, yeah, you can talk to big cats in zoos, giraffes, elephants, dogs. And he looked at me and he said, except cats, all cats are liars. <laughs> <laughs> and if you, talk to, if you talk to snakes, they have to make a seven-part movie series about you. <laughs> so welcome, many-hatted Andy. How you, was sir. your lockdown? Well, my lockdown was a bit peculiar because when we heard what was going to be happening, I, like a lot of other people, um, rushed out and bought... I didn't buy toilet paper, didn't panic buy toilet paper. I panicked bought fence paint and I had this grand... I'm doing a renovation, which is why I've got plaster on the walls behind me. And I thought that I'd be doing all this wonderful work on my house here in Taupo. Um, but then we activated the EOC under civil defence and I spent the next 68 days with a bubble of around 50 to 60 people, some of whom I knew, some of whom were total strangers from throughout the Central Plateau, um, South Waikato region. Um, so my, my lockdown, my bubble was a bit different from most people. <laughs> Is was was a pandemic on the list of things that you were expecting to deal with in terms of civil defence? 
Never. We had, we, I mean, we, we train for everything. And in some ways, there are similarities with, with what you're trained for. And I, I guess in some ways, you, like I say, you train for everything. It's how you apply it. But pandemic was never one that we thought we'd have on our radar. We usually do floods. Uh, and, and the EOCs that I've worked in have been floods, earthquakes, uh, volcanic eruptions when I was back for Whakari, uh, White Island, back in Whakatane. Um, but the pandemic wasn't one that I think had ever come up in any of the modelling. And it was interesting because the other events and EOCs I've been in, have you, you have an event which starts and then you go and so you've got this um, very, very crazy period of time and then you sort of transition into how you deal with that, and then you go into recovery. And, and as you go into recovery, the welfare component comes into the EOC. Interestingly enough, for this one, welfare was the first thing that happened. It was welfare from the get-go. So instead of having welfare sort of down the track after you've dealt with the initial shock and awe, you, you had welfare right from the beginning. Before people really understood what was going on? Pretty much, we, we knew that welfare was going to be the biggest component. Um, and so we put welfare front and centre because we knew what we were going to be dealing with. Obviously, police, etc., we were going to be dealing with other aspects of the lockdown, but what it was going to mean for us in civil defence and in emergency management was who those in our community that are at risk, how are we going to help them to get through this? Because it's interesting that it's being managed, in this case, by the emergency. It's, it's almost as if the central message was not one of emergency. The central message was one of, we've got this, be kind to each other. That's not the words of emergency. Yep. No, and, and I don't think it was an emergency. It's just that we called it emergency management because that's, you know, the, the umbrella it comes under. But it, I guess, it, yeah, you're right. It wasn't really an emergency it was more about looking after people in the community who were vulnerable. And that was a pretty wide umbrella because it wasn't people who had been affected by a flood or an eruption. It was the entire community. Uh, what, what people out there will not be able to access the things they need. So it's not an emergency, but it, it has the potential to be that for, for, for many people. And then, of course, there's... Um... The, the type of needs that people would have um, when when a lot of their needs would have been driven by fear and insecurity and really not knowing what was happening. I mean, we, we've never had anything like that, have we? I mean, the, the reality was so different. Exactly. It was, we didn't know what we didn't know. So um, you you had to figure out, put yourself in the place of people in the community, whether it's someone who's, um, possibly just been through a breakup and needs accommodation, whether it's someone who's got specific medical needs, whether it's people who are homeless and on the streets. Um, how can we find them accommodation? How can we get food and, and shelter to them? And the, I think the, for me, the interesting thing that came out of it all was how much our community and our community groups came to the fore in this. And I think it's one of those things in New Zealand, we, I wouldn't say we take it for granted, we don't take it for granted, but it does highlight the fact what Kiwis can achieve when they work together. You know, there's no way that a government agency could do all that stuff. But when you bring in all these community groups, church-based, um, just community organisations, there, there were some, literally some organisations that were just basically cooked up within 24 hours and contacted us and said, how can we help? What do you need? Um, and we registered them so that we can get a kind of an idea of what's going on. We don't want everybody delivering the same stuff to the same location. We want to, you know, get it out there um, where it's needed. Um, and it was just incredible to see this stuff come together. Um, in, a, in a matter of hours, in a couple of days. Um, and I, I, I think it's fair to say a lot of us, when we first went into the lockdown, 
we were a little bit concerned about how we were going to deal with it. But um, the community came together. All these different groups came together, worked really well. So it was just coordinating all that and um, letting them do what they do. It's interesting how the the fact that we couldn't get together actually brought us together. Mm. Yes. Yeah. And and also how seamlessly that happened. Um, I remember on the first day or two when the, when we said we've got social distancing, we're not going to be able to, you know, have meetings. We're not going to be able to get together in the room. And I thought, this is going to be a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it worked fine. It was remarkable how quickly people just um, got on board and got the message and figured out how to do it. I think it's one of those things that Kiwis are particularly good at, is making it up as we go along. Did you get a, a how-to guide or a running um, plan or something from the government? The, these are the messages we want you to, to amplify? This, this is the, the, how, we're, how we're playing Absolutely. this? Absolutely. I mean, you hear a lot of criticism about government, but my experience of it was just entirely positive we had coherent messaging um really good messaging and really compassionate messaging as well which i thought was really good it wasn't heavy-handed it wasn't big brother it was we're all in this together and together we're going to get through it and we did well so far we have we'll, we'll see where the rest of 2020 takes us but the um the the system kicked in pretty much immediately and functioned very very well it was it was a pleasure to, and an honour to be a part of it. To be to be honest, so were you able to use those central messaging, the the be kind message? We heard the prime minister whenever she was faced with something that she didn't actually have an answer for, she would like go back to first principles and say, "Well, okay, what's the be kind way of dealing with this?" And she, we, you saw her doing mm. that during the press conferences several times. Did you go through a similar sorts of process of saying, okay, we don't actually have the answer for this, but let's go through those those core messages? To be honest, the, the stuff that we got from central government and also from Waikato Civil Defence pretty much answered everything we needed to know. We had phone numbers, we had contacts, um, and we could basically go out on all our, our messaging. And it was because the newspapers were shut down. So we were basically reliant on social media and radio and word of mouth. And we basically had contact numbers. If you, if you needed food, call here. If you need accommodation, call here. If you need anything else, call here. So we didn't have to make up too much of it. It was pretty, it was pretty clear and straightforward from the get-go, which was was really reassuring to know um, that we were on top of this and we'd get through it. We'd sort it out. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have the low anthem, Charlie Darwin. Why this one? Um, I stumbled across this band um, a year or two ago. I just love the harmonies. I love the um, quirky lyrics. Um, they're just... Uh, something a bit different to what I normally listen to. I just love it. Set the sails, I feel the winds are stirring. Towards the
So has the messaging changed as as it's evolved, as we've come yes, out of definitely. out of lockdown and then kind of back into it? Yes, definitely, and and I guess, and that's one of the great things about social media is it can change constantly, and it can be a very fluid thing. You know, we went through stages of having to explain the various levels, and then we, for example, we shifted into things when we had holiday breaks, trying to get people to stay home. I know it's the weather's great. I know you want to get out there, but come on, you know, stay home. Um, down to things, and then it moved on to things like, you know, um, when did you last see your neighbours? Do you have elderly neighbours? Do you have um, solo parent neighbours? How can you help? You, you may want to go over and help them by handing some food over the fence. Is that the right way to do it? Maybe it's better you call us. Um, so the, the messaging was very fluid throughout the whole thing, constantly changing, um, constantly, um, I wouldn't say being reactive, because we do try to be proactive, but as new issues came up, it was about addressing those. It's just about getting information to people. And like you say, we'd never done this before. So there were things that um, popped up on our Facebook feeds, people asking questions that made us think, wow, that's actually really valid. We better get some messaging out about that to let people know. How did you approach the fact that people were demanding some sort of certainty when in a pandemic such certainty is just not possible? To be honest, we never got people demanding certainty. We, The people that were reacting with us were, were really pretty good. They knew that this was new territory. Um, they wanted to know how they could help, or if they needed help, they wanted to know where to go. And and we were fortunate to be able to address both of those concerns quite quite rapidly. So is the, what is it, the EOC, is it still operating? 
No, it was stood down ooh, a month or so ago. We went for 68 days. Um, I think once the national emergency um, ended, it was shut down not long after that. Um, it was great to work with all those people in the EOC, but I really hope we never have to do it again, <laughs> <laughs> like all EOCs. Because <laughs> normally, um, as you so say, normally I, it would be a... It's, it's, it's an event that you're recovering from. You normally wouldn't exactly. have a long haul. No, no. You, you go, you've got the immediate reaction to the event, um, and then you sort of tail down into the recovery, whereas this one was very, very different. It was straight into the welfare stage, um, which was, yeah, it was very interesting. So it not being an emergency anymore, does that mean you can go back to your magazine? Uh, we, we will go back to the magazine, but we're not quite sure when that will go back into print and distribution. It's been, for the media, it's been such a wild ride. And we've seen the likes of Bauer Media sort of shut down and, um, and give up the ghost very early on. We're determined that's not going to happen to plenty. We will be back. Um, but we're just trying to figure out what to do around distribution, um, given the various levels of lockdown. So um, you'll probably see us, I think, in the spring and summer. Um, it was interesting because one of the history stories we did in the magazine about two years ago was about the 1918 influenza and what, how that affected the Bay of Plenty. Some areas of the Bay of Plenty just closed themselves off. Um, parts of the Waimana, uh, parts of the Eastern Bay, um, basically just put up roadblocks and said, that's it, we're, we're done for the duration and got through very well, I have to say. Um, but in the researching of that story, I spoke to a guy, I can't remember his name, I think his name's Price, down in Christchurch, who, who wrote a book called Black November about the um, 1918 pandemic. And it was very interesting talking to him because he basically said one of the scariest things about the 1918 pandemic was the fact that it went away. There was no vaccine for it. There was no cure for it. It just died out and went away. And he said, for for medical professionals, that's really scary. When things happen that they can't explain, that's a worry. And you sort of wonder whether this might happen again with the current pandemic, whether we'll, we won't find a vaccine, it will die out of natural causes, and it will leave us with that same worrying, mystifying misunderstanding of how it got here and where it's gone. And hopefully not kill millions of people on the way through. In the process, exactly, yeah. So are you looking for, is it, is it good news stories? It, around the, the, the pandemic? It, it, what's the what's going to be the theme of the first issue? I don't know. That's a really good question. I don't know what how we'll approach that, and I'm kind of trying not to think about it, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but one of the things, I think one of the things for me, one of the takeaways from this whole process has been, I think it's kind of reminded Kiwis that we can achieve big things and I think a lot of people found the lockdown to be demoralizing or depressing. I actually found it kind of inspiring. Um, we shut a country down within about 48 hours notice and it worked. Um, there wasn't rioting in the streets. It, we didn't go all crazy. There were a few speed bumps along the way, but basically we got through pretty well or we're getting through pretty well. And I think it's kind of reminded us a little bit that New Zealanders can dream big and we can achieve big things. Um, you look back at some of our history, going nuclear free, um, women's suffrage, you know, um, we can actually, when we, when we decide we want to do things, we can do it really well. And I think we'll probably try and get our heads around that for the first issue. What are we going to get out of this? What are we going to change What's going to be different on the other side of COVID-19 in the Bay of Plenty? Do you think it's a recovery or are you seeing it as something else, a regeneration or, or some other term? 
That's a really good question. I, I think, you know, there's going to have to be an economic recovery, but will it, yeah, will it be a recovery or a regeneration? You know, we're, we're in a really good position to come out of COVID-19 stronger than a lot of other countries around the world. Our economy hasn't suffered as badly as was predicted, and I think we could sort of boomerang out of this um, quite well and, 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 and in a very positive way. I mean, it's early days to say that, but I think um, there's, in, in, in any challenge, there are opportunities, and I think we're going to start to see those opportunities highlighted um, in the next few months. Um, not just economically, but socially as well. I like that notion of New Zealand's New Zealanders can dream big and they can achieve big things because we don't think we can. We've got a, a a nationwide tall poppy problem. I think you know. I think we used to be able to dream big and think big. I don't quite know what happened along the way, but I think we're getting back to this idea. Um, that we can achieve great things. We've got nothing to lose. Um, so yeah, we. I mean, we used to we used to have that concept. Somewhere along the line, it got tied up in I don't know bureaucracy or self doubt or something like that. But um, hopefully, this is one of the things we'll take away from this: is that actually it's time to um, pull our socks up and um, go crazy. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, koutou I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful superstars, in your beloved universes. And I really hope that wherever you are and whatever is happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very fulfilling and illuminating for you more and more each day who you are, a triumph of nature's art perfect, unique and here making things better thank you so I know that for all of us we are going through a range of different challenges and we are collectively experiencing these challenges and individually experiencing these challenges and part of this of course is understanding that we are constantly part of a collective process of co-evolution and that as a species of animal it can be tricky for us at times to feel that sense of connection to all life in an infinite web of which we are a part but that connection is there and the more we make the most of that connection and the more we draw sustenance and inspiration and learning from that connection I personally feel the better things are able to go for us so as we know when I spoke with you yesterday beautiful Harvey Penfold was downstairs singing away happily making nozzles and we figured out today that actually we're going to have to develop new ways to do this and like any challenge there are so many different ways of dealing with that challenge and one way is to run around screaming and shouting feeling very overwhelmed catastrophizing panicking deciding everything's terrible deciding to give up deciding it's all over all these all of these wonderful feelings and I think it is important to allow oneself to move through these different feelings but as I learned a few months ago thanks to doing the show with wonderful you these experiences if we allow them to pass physiologically only last 90 seconds and so of course for all of us if we can allow these feelings to pass and remember that we are part of this web of life and this web of learning and that if it were not for all the lives that have gone before our lives dealing with challenges adapting to challenges learning from the challenges that they have faced we would not be here and in the same way by moving through the challenges that we are facing and adapting to them and problem solving not only do we embody one of our most noble aspects but we serve 
the lives that surround us and the lives that are waiting to be born. This problem solving is a great act of service. And when we are able to reframe things in this way, not only do we feel a lot more empowered to act, but we also feel a lot more comfortable with uncertainty and not knowing, not immediately having the solution to something because we know and we can trust that the solution will arise. And part of trusting that the solution will arise is knowing that this process of giving time and space and trust to our consciousness to come up with the best solution it's not something that we alone are taking part in it's something that all life takes part in and something that all life has taken part in so i really hope that for you whatever you are in the process of problem solving in your own lives that it's going really well and you can see that what you are doing is a great act of service to the lives that surround you now and those that are waiting to join you. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. I've been giving some thought to that, what changed. And I look back at the past and people like David Longy was so relatable. And so mm. we had we had relatable leadership. And then we went through this patch of having leaders who who didn't have the same, we couldn't relate to them. They, they came from like massive wealth, like the likes of John Key came from massive wealth. There was, there was nothing about him that people could look at and go, oh, yeah, I totally get where he's at. And, and I think he would understand Rome because his reality was so different from everyone else's. And mm. so... And I think now we've sort of, it feels like we're coming back to having relatable leaders again. And I really like that. Mm, definitely. And, and you could see that um, throughout the lockdowns, we we weren't, I don't think, I, I never felt I was being told what to do. I was being asked to, to be a part of a journey. Um, and that's really different. Especially coming from a, a communications perspective, um, it's really, uh, I've always felt this. You can ask a Kiwi to do anything and he or she will, will try and help you. Don't ever tell a Kiwi what to do. <laughs> it won't work. <laughs> it's like going, going back to the nuclear ships thing with David Longy. If they'd asked really nicely, we might have thought about it. But when the US told David Longy and New Zealand what to do, <laughs> you're on a one-way ticket to a hiding there, eh? <laughs> So we've seen lots of changes, societal changes over the, the last few months. What do you think is going to stick and what do you hope will stick? I, I think what will stick is the, the idea of being kind. And that sounds really like an oversimplification, but it's not. Um, it's something we're good at in New Zealand. And it's something I think we just took for granted a little bit maybe and need, it needed to, to be put back front and centre, which I think is really good. Other than that, I think I personally, I don't know. I think it's still early days to see what's going to come out of this. You know, it's we. I think we've just seen what happened with the latest um, level change in Auckland. And I think probably in the next month or two, or three. I mean, you know, to be perfectly honest, I think we will get other clusters. It's, it's never going to be perfect. That's the way it's going to be. Um, but I think we'll get used to this new normal and we'll start to think, well, okay, what does this mean? Where do we go? What can we, what can we do with this? So I think the, the, rest, the first half of 2020 has been pretty shit. <laughs> but I think the second half of 2020 could be when we start to sort of get our collective thinking caps on and maybe think, uh, what, what are we going to do with this? Where are we going to go with this? So what do you think we can learn from how we've responded for the bigger questions, climate change, social injustice and so on? Wow, that's really interesting. And yeah, can, can we apply that same... Um, can, can we ha harness the team of five million to start addressing other things? Um, social change is hard. It's, 
it's not about sharing memes on Facebook. It takes an immense amount of work. But I think the first step and the hardest step is getting the appetite for it. And I think we have that now. I think people understand that we can achieve things, we can make things better. Not to say that everything was wrong before, but just that um, we, we, can, we can lead the world in doing things, make things a lot better. Let's take... Got which one it is. Let's take the Divine Comedy, Lucy. Yes. We've got an essential Lucy. We looked after her through lockdown while her parents were doing their essential nursing and journalism. In fact, she's next. She's in the room next door. Journalism. <laughs> why this? Why this song for you? I've got a Lucy. My daughter is named Lucinda, um, which means bringer of light. This is a really corny story about her name. We were living in Tokyo. We just found out we were having a baby. It was just after the huge, big 2011 Tokyo um, Fukushima earthquake. We were in a blacked out Tokyo. All the lights were off and we found out we were having a baby and that brought some light into our life. That's why she's called Lucinda or Lucy. Her, my, my partner is Japanese. Her, her Japanese name is Shizuka, which means calm, serenity. That hasn't worked out at all. So <laughs> I'm sticking with Lucy. <laughs> and it's uh, uh, by a band called Divine Comedy who fly very much under the radar, but um, really worth checking out. And the song is basically, um, I think it's a William Wordsworth um song about a uh, lyric poem about England which just goes to show that all William Wordsworth needed was um, a good rhythm guitarist behind him and he could have gone far Star when only one 
I have some questions to end the show with. What is mm-hmm. the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Oh, easily creating plenty. Um, that went from um, too many glasses of wine over dinner and saying we were going to start a magazine that would celebrate the Bay of Plenty. And we actually did it. And the Bay of Plenty came through trumps. Um, people said to us when we did the first issue, they said, oh, it's a great magazine, but you won't have enough stories. You won't have enough good, positive, achieving stories in the Bay of Plenty. Well, ha, ha, ha. The Bay of Plenty came through with that one, and we're still going strong five years later. So that's that's been a, a, a really cool thing to be a part of, just to be able to showcase all these amazing people. What do you think is the role of those positive stories? Because you could have focused on the things that weren't so good, or you could have focused on the you know, the, the finding the things that have gotten wrong? Yeah, well, I'm a, I, I'm a journalist. I've always been a journalist. And there's, there's, I'm, I'm not saying you shouldn't report the bad news. You have to. That's the news. But you also need to shine a light on the positivity. And I remember there was a... Uh, I can't remember who it was. There was an artist about 20 years ago who had a series of billboards called... We don't need another hero. And I remember looking at that and thinking, you know, actually, we do need heroes. Um, The only problem is that a lot of our heroes tend to be based around sporting icons and things like that. I want heroes who are writers and musicians and dancers and poets and fashion designers and all these sorts of things. And I think we in New Zealand, we don't celebrate that enough. So um, I think. Um, the role of plenty was to celebrate those people. The the negative stuff, the mainstream media will, uh, will definitely carry the, the torch for that one. But um, our role was to bring you the stories that you wouldn't normally see about the creative people around the place. So you'll be pleased to hear that we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Ah. It's our team of people. Ah, it's our go. team of people doing good work. So you're on our team. What's the superpower that's got you into our mansion? My superpower, I would have to say, was um, as a high school teacher told me many years ago, he said, Mr. Taylor, you have an incredible ability to talk bullshit, make a career out of it. And I became a journalist. best advice i ever had (laughs) so do you consider yourself to be an activist not really um i admire people who are i think i'm there to tell the stories of the people who are activists um that's that's the role i'm comfortable with 
So what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? That's a good question. What motivates me? Yeah, you know, that is a really good question. (laughs) I've got no idea. I've always had uh, an incredible interest in people. Um, I just love talking with people. I love listening to their stories and finding out about them. It drives my wife around the bend because, you know, we can't cross the street to the supermarket without me talking to some bloke on the street or flagging down a car or, you know, um, engaging in some endless conversation about something which is completely meaningless. But uh, that's always been me. And I think it maybe comes from the Scots-Irish heritage or um, something like that. Uh, What gets me out of bed in the morning is just that love of interacting with the people around me. They're endlessly entertaining. (laughs) So what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? Well, getting plenty back up and running is definitely one of them. Um, We've got some other publishing things. We we also do the Air Chathams magazine, which has um, been really, really great. I really love being a part of that. Air Chathams have been great for, for regional New Zealand. Um, so that's really exciting. But, yeah, I guess the, the big challenge is going to be yeah, where, where plenty comes back into. Um, and hopefully my role in um, civil defence and emergency management won't be too challenging. It'll all be plain sailing from here. It'll all be downhill. <laughs> and lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? advice for your listeners hey look you know it sounds really corny but just follow your passion um it's it's advice that um that my mother gave me actually um and it got me into a lot of trouble over the years but it's also it's also given me a lot of joy so that's it it sounds corny but uh, it's a real one thank you very much for that mawira um, it's funny, just reflecting as you've been talking, Andy, and I think of um, all the times over the years I've known you where, you know, sometimes when you're when you're flying the flag for change and, and you're challenging the status quo, you, you generate a bit of hate. And you've always been someone who has said, come on, Mawera, just keep on going. You can do it. And mm. celebrated and championed. And you're an extraordinary human, really. And I think, and, and I, and I think that um, it, a lot of people in Fakatani would nod their heads in agreement with that um, for the for the goodness that you've given to the to the community and and how many of us you've been a champion for. So thank you for um, an incredible job that you've done and the job that you'll continue to do. Oh, my pleasure. And it's it's interesting you say that about how you do garner a bit of hate when you start to 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 do things. I remember being a very, very young journalist down in Wellington and um, being at a press conference with Helen Clark. Um, and she was there. I can't even remember what the issue was, but the issue was very contentious. And she was refusing to budge on this. And uh, uh, I think it was someone like Tom Scott, actually, was in the press gallery and said, um, Prime Minister, you do realise you're not making any friends with this, don't you? And there was a pause, and Helen Clark said, I didn't come here to make friends. <laughs> yep. I came here to make change. <laughs> and you just that's thought, so awesome. yeah, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And um, yeah, telling the stories of people that do that sort of stuff is what I'm all about. So you talked about wanting heroes, but do you want to go out to Thunderdome or Bowie's Heroes? I think we should go out with Bowie's heroes because he was the thin white duke. So, uh, yeah. Done. Yep. And
listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Soyuz Bay, Dunedin, with Moira Karatai in Fakatani, and we were joined by Andy Taylor in Taupo. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.